Light! Light this candle! Camera! Action! Moron. I've got morons on my team. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore! We're in the pipe. Five by five. We'll help! Yeah, I'll just fill my pipe! And so it begins. It was the dawn of the third age of mankind. Back, folks, to the Man Cave Movie Review, the podcast that reviews the good, the bad, and the ugly of movies for men. I'm your host, Jeff Muncy, and tonight we bring you a going to be damn close to a schlock edition. But tonight we are reviewing, I was about to say, great and fantastic movie, a movie called Dune. Yes, that Dune, the Frank Herbert-inspired Dune, David Lynch screenplay and directed, starring. Kyle McLaughlin, Virginia Madsen, Francesca Anis, uh, Brad Dorif, Linda Hunt, Richard Jordan. An unbe- really an unbelievable cast. It continues on with Max von Sydow, Dean Stockwell. I'm sure Brian will tell us all about Dean Stockwell. Sean Young, a very young Sean Young. Probably Sting, the musician. Uh, Patrick Stewart, who apparently hasn't aged at all since this movie but uh, many many others but joining me tonight for uh, for uh, for tackling this review is Ken what's in the box Roni preparation for this show as is our normal practice I've poured my drink and I can't promise you that the spice rum will flow <laughs> Well done, sir. Well done. Thank you. Also joining me this evening is my good and dear friend, Brian. This inner dialogue is going to completely take me out of the movie eventually. Miller. Well, I can tell you what's in the box. Pain, as I recall. <laughs> That's exactly but right. What behold, else? Is the wild ass in the desert, Jeff. I will go forth to my work tonight. <laughs> well to done. The, yes. The, the starship captain. Yes. Gurney Halleck. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, guys. Um, listeners, I, it, it may have this may have been some false advertising on my part, unintentionally, but we were going to have a special guest redshirt on tonight, and that special guest redshirt was taken out before he was ever on the away team. So we don't have a special guest redshirt, and I'm not going to say who the special guest redshirt was going to be, but it may be pretty obvious, but um, Steve is, um, I guess I am going to say it, um, <laughs> has been called away on some sort of a special CIA mission, or he got so drunk he just fell out of the bed and can't get up, but um, but he's um, he was going to join us tonight and at the last moment was uh, unable to. He says he has words, though, and I wish we could have heard those words. Maybe he can um, hum a few bars sometime here soon, but or he'll chime in on the uh, on the posting here soon. But I'm um, alas. So Steve, 
So Steve is the Sean Bean of red shirts. Sean, <laughs> he is the Sean Bean of red shirts. Poor guy. Um, and he was gonna. I think he. I think somehow, some way, he knew that he was going to. Um, he was going to be hazed once he uh, once he got back on here. But um, sure. but anyway, well, um, a lot of our listeners um, through the uh, not so cryptic Facebook post that I put out today figured out that the movie we were going to do tonight is the 1984 movie Dune. I'm just going to read the IMDb. <laughs> I, I just I don't even know where to begin with this to a point. Basically, in the year 10,191, all the planets of the known universe are under the control of uh, Emperor Saddam. Uh, the fourth and the most important commodity in the universe is a substance called the spice, which is said to have the power of extending life and expanding the consciousness and even to fold space. And, of course, with this comes greed and and desire and, you know, and you know, power politics. And so you have this movie unfolding before you. <clears throat> And not such a spectacular way. But I'm going to hold off on on any more thoughts. I'm going to turn this over to my good and dear friend, Ken, who is going to share his thoughts about this movie. He did suggest it, mainly because it was streaming. But, Ken, what is it about this movie that made you want to review it? Uh, There's a number of reasons. To start off, I saw this in the theater. Went there with my brother when it came out. This came out in the early 80s, and it was based off the 1965 Frank Herbert sci-fi book, which was very important. It was seen as like a very important novel, very unique, very uh, elaborate world-building, politics, characters. It had defied production. There had been several attempts to make it, and they 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 all fell through. Uh, I can recommend, if you have access to Netflix, I think it's on Amazon too. There's a very good uh, documentary called Jodorowsky's Dune, which is all about the first attempt to make this into a movie in the early 70s by a gentleman named Jodorowsky, a Mexican-Polish uh producer who came up with a very unique look and actually sort of accidentally put out visions and background that inspired a lot of other subsequent sci-fi movies but it fell through uh one of the unique things about that movie uh jodorowsky wanted to get a popular up-and-coming rock group to do the music you know what that group would be jeff well i'll tell you it was Pink Floyd. Uh, I'm sorry. You know, that, that damn mute button. I, I'm sitting here trying to scream it out to you. I guess you can't do that through a mute button. Yes, Pink no. Floyd. Possibly the greatest band ever to exist. Uh, they they were. It, it could have been a part of yeah. this. But again, Joe Dorowski sort of ripped through his budget just thinking about it. And then... Uh, by this point, it would have cost them dearly. I mean, this is 1984. I mean, by this point, the wall had come out, and they were they were commanding oh, yeah. whatever. Still, yeah, yeah, he's still looking at it. But Dino De Laurentiis got a hold of the rights, and he then hired the up and coming young director Ridley Scott. And Ridley Scott put in a couple years trying to get his vision of this. 
And a unique thing about Ridley Scott's vision was he figured you can't do justice to this book Dune in a movie, a two-hour movie, even a three-hour movie. He was going to have about a four-and-a-half-hour uh, of work split into two distinct movies. Because, uh, I mean, I can remember as a kid, you know, going to the bookstore and looking at Dune, you know, the paperback sitting on the shelf. It's a thick book. There's a lot of meat there. So uh, Ridley Scott gave a shot. He failed. And then finally, uh, a few years later, Laurentis hired David Lynch, who was coming off of uh, was it the Racerhead, I think it was. Well, he also coming off of, uh, of uh, The Elephant Man. Yeah. Oh, the El- yes, you're right. Which the was Elephant- incredible. By the way, yes. I, I, no, Ridley. I mean, I mean, uh, Lynch was groundbreaking, and he jumped in and gave it his shot. Now, when they were putting this together, Dino De Laurentiis and most of the people behind it, the studio people, of course, were thinking, "This is a franchise. We've got this book Dune, but there's like four or five Dune books back at that time, yep. and Ch- they were pitching this got as science fiction for the adults." Uh, it was going to be serious and heavy and, you know, take on big, big, uh, big themes and all. And they hired a stellar cast. Uh, they went down to Mexico to film it. And the movie opened with a lot of fanfare and bombed. It didn't do well at all. Uh, it has some very unique visuals. Uh, I like the fact, you know depending on who you're talking to it's a whole different look i mean the emperor's people look entirely different than the dune people looks entirely different from the atreides people i mean every group of people have their own group it's a power politics thing it's a loosely loosely stolen sort of mohammed in the desert plot you know the desert raiders create a jihad against the empire uh, overthrow the established order it's a big book. They tried to do it justice. I will say, though, that even with the great cast, and it is a good cast, you feel like you're missing something. You feel like, you know, at least when I was re-watching it here, I always had the feeling like for every you know, two minutes of film, there was about two minutes that I missed somehow that just wasn't there. That you know, they, they tend to jump from scene to scene to scene. And they don't give you much background about why people are doing this or how it's like this. It just moves along. But it does basically plot out the uh, story of the book and the story of the main characters. Uh, It was rough. Uh, I got a rough reception. Didn't make a lot of money. It does have sort of the cult classic. There's a a cult following out there that really likes it. Uh, It has a lot of lines that have worked their way into pop culture. Uh, but uh, at least that's my initial thoughts on it, to sort of put it in context and kick it off. So All what right. do you think, Brian? Well, if I could sum it up in one, one line, it's 10 pounds of shit in a five-pound bag. That's the best way I could describe it. They tried to do too much. I, I read, actually, I read the novels when I was very young, probably in the early 70s, and I saw this movie, Ken, at the Eastwood. That's where I hunts. saw it. Yeah, I saw, I, saw it. It, I saw it at the Eastwood. Uh, Lynch, obviously, was an infant terrible, uh, having done, uh, you know, done The Elephant Man before this, and then coming out of, you know, you know he did really kind of art films or bizarro films like uh, 
uh, uh, Racerhead, which I never saw, but will never forget the poster. And uh, some of these guys in this movie were stuff that sh- guys that showed up in a lot of his stuff. You know, Jack Nance, who was one of the redhead get dudes in here, showed up in almost everything he did, including he was the lead in the Racerhead. Uh, Emmett, oh shit, I can't think of his name now. Uh, Stilgar, uh, who was uh, Everett McGill. Everett McGill, which there's a great Babylon Five mix-up story involving Everett McGill, where. Uh, you know, so and so Straczynski wanted that that McGill guy, and he got Bruce McGill, who was uh, in Animal House, <laughs> and he wanted Everett McGill. <laughs> so Bruce McGill shows up, and it's like, damn, you, know, you don't look anything like I remember you. <laughs> who the hell are you? <laughs> yeah, but he'd already he'd already hired him, so it was Bruce McGill instead of Everett McGill. So a fine uh, actor. A yeah. fine actor. Well, I mean, yes. th- this cast is interesting. I mean, Francesca Annis, she's still out there doing stuff. I remember watching her in a Danger Man 1962 show with, uh, uh, which is Secret Agent, and here in the states with the, uh, you know, uh, freaking uh, Jose Ferrer. There's a, there's a Cincinnati slash Maysville, Kentucky connection. He was married to Rosemary Clooney. I don't know if anybody knew that or not. Uh, Richard Jordan was in it briefly, like one scene as Duncan Idaho. Glafton. Interesting about McLaughlin, they did a nationwide search to find Paul Maudie. And uh, it took, I think, like 14 months to find the right kit. And they found McLaughlin. And I actually, I'll be honest with you, I when I saw him, I thought, yeah, he looks like he was my vision of Paul Maudie. Hmm. Uh, so I, I thought they got it right, you know, because that's what he, in my mind, that's what he looked like. And But it was a 14-month search to, to have him. And this was his, my understanding, his opening acting, you know, thing, if you will. Uh, Virginia Madsen, you know, she's in it, has is ear but she's pretty passing. Uh, Sean Phillips, who plays the Reverend Mother Gaius Helen Mohim, or Mo- Mohim, I believe, she was doing stuff right around that same time. She was in the Winston Churchill thing called uh, Wilderness Years. She played Churchill's wife. And, and Mark, uh, Mr. Slover will love this. She played Smiley's wife and Smiley's people. And she was married to Peter O'Toole, I believe, at oh. this time or right around this time. So. It's a really Linda Hunt, uh, who just was fresh off that movie with oh my god, it was uh, Year of Living Dangerously, where I think she won an Oscar a couple years before that. Uh, that cast was uh, packed. Jurgen Prop now, obviously, off Doss Boat just a couple years before that. It was a hell of a cast, but I think that's the problem. Uh, th- th- this should have been a movie with an intermission. I mean, well, actually, Ken, I, I don't think you can do Dune in one setting. I think Dune takes six hours. It's almost a miniseries type of thing. Well, and that, um, isn't that why isn't that why the Sci-Fi Channel redid it? Because this story requires a lot of digestion. Yes. Yeah the 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 Sci-Fi miniseries from what was that about two thousand? Uh, that William was Hurt. three episodes, not quite six hours, more like five hours, but nonetheless, a bunch. Yeah, if you were going to do this as one movie, it should be like a two-hour intermission and another two-hour sort of big thing like, you know, you know Dr. Zhivago or uh, Lawrence of Arabia or some treatment like that. Like, like Linda, Linda Hunt was the connection in the house between the Fremen and House Trades. Linda Hunt's sole thing in this movie was, I am the shout-out, I am shout-out mapes. The housekeeper, which is reached a great line. And then the next scene she's in, she's like, <laughs> she's dying. That's her whole contribution to the movie. Well, that's what I'm saying. I felt like 
like there should you know there should be more. And in the book, there was more. And book oh my had God, plots yeah. on plots and schemes. Yeah. Um, in a way, I mean, to put this into a modern context, in a way, it's sort of like uh, all the fans of the of the of Game of Thrones, the TV people versus the book people, where the book people are going, oh my gosh, you, you know, people on TV don't realize you know, all the subtext and background and everything. Well, you can't, if you're watching a movie, you can't judge it by what's in the book. You can just judge it by what you see. And for so many of these people, they have just a couple lines and they're done. Like, you well, know, Max Benzino. Yeah. How many lines does he have? Not many. Not many. You know, and that's but, uh, for, for a first... They just got to keep it moving. It's a big, long story and Lynch just doesn't let people pause. Well, he disavowed this movie. Uh, but at the same time, what the hell are you going to do with it? I mean, I'm, I mean, you you can't. I mean, like I, I wouldn't kid when I'm talking about a ten pound bag of shit. You know, I mean, you can't condense this into any reasonable one setting movie. I don't think, and and have it make a lot of sense. Now, all that said, I have watched this probably thirty times. <laughs> if it's on, I'll sit and watch it. Uh, why, why is that, Brian? What is it about this movie that you really enjoy? Visually, it's it's extravagant. Uh, I mean, this this movie is really exceptional visually. I don't know that that to be perfectly honest. I don't know if, if Lynch's vision of the of you know the Emperor and all that kind of stuff matches mine, but it's just so over the top in uh, the worms, you know, stuff like that. You know, stuff that stuff is just incredibly well done. The visuals in this movie, to me. Uh, they stack up pretty well against anything. It's just that that uh, I hate to say it. You know, some of the acting, and maybe it's the lines they had to read, isn't real. Uh, like I said, you know, Linda Hunt's. You know, I am shout out Mapes, the housekeeper. You know, I mean, it, it literally read that way. I'm like, God, that's awful. Uh, <laughs> and I know she's a good actress, but visually, I can't take my eyes off it. When it's on, it, it's a it's a visual event. I mean, I don't have to really listen to it, even though I have the volume on. I just like the visuals, uh, so that that's the draw to me. Plus, the cast is—I mean, there, my God, I mean, there are probably eight or nine people in here who could lead movies uh, and have led movies. I mean, in the past. Well, this is this is my first my first viewing, and and it's it's because the reputation of it precedes it, and I would not have watched this had you guys not said something. Um, uh, it suggested it. You know, it was suggested this week. It's like, well, you know, and Ken has a. And I'm not going to peek behind the curtain that much, but Ken, Ken suggests this. He had a kind of a grand plan in front of him. The first thing that just that a couple of things that took me when when I was watching this for the first night, first time the other night, um, the the cast. I was I was shocked every time I turned around. There was a new recognizable actor, and I was shocked. I knew some of the actors in here, but I really didn't look into it. And so I was really surprised every time I turned around that there was, you know, somebody else. I was like, oh, my gosh, I remember that person from this movie and this person here. And, oh, my God, Sean Young looks so incredibly young. Oh, 1984. Um, but it was I was I was impressed with the cast and at the same time completely let down, as you both have pointed out, by how underutilized all of them were. And and and. I kept wanting more, and I was, spoiler alert, never going to get it. I was never going to get any more. Um, so, so that was, 
so I was like, okay, well, and, and Brian, like you, I think in the beginning, I was, I was, I was pretty impressed by the sets to some extent. Um, the the scenes themselves, I thought they, you could tell that they spared no expense in this movie. That said, I thought 1984. I mean, Star Wars happened seven years before this, and looked 20 times better. And so when I started looking at 1984, now it is 1984 quality. Now again, maybe I'm comparing. Maybe I had a back. Maybe I shouldn't compare it to Star Wars because, I mean, it, to me that sh- that movie is shot beautifully, and its produ- its production ended up making it look that way. But in this case, 1984. I mean, this movie looks like a 1984 movie in the sense of what is being shown out there during this time. But you think back to Alien and Ridley Scott shot a, one of the most beautiful movies in that time period. And this is still years after it. And I just felt like they must have sacrificed something for the cinematography to not get, whether it's the cinematography or the lighting or what it is, that it makes it look just the the colors, the colorization is so muted. It's a dark movie and it's not dark in a, in a, in a, in a good way. Uh, and so it, it, it totally, it, it, it over, over the length of this film, I just became really fatigued by the look of it. But probably the worst thing for me in this movie was there was so much internal dialogue where you would have people, you'd have, you, you would see them. Yes. Yes. That was terrible. And then you would hear their thoughts, which first time I was, I just, I just noticed it. The second time I thought, did they do that again? About the 18th time, I just, I thought, I'm, I'm done with this. This is, this is terrible. Um, as they would, you know, stand staring off into space somewhere, and there would just be this running dialogue going, and I thought, this is, this is not well done. Um, and then by the time we got to the CGI of the climactic battle at the end, it was, I was. I was I was really done. <laughs> I was very done with this movie by that point, um, and and clearly realized that this was the inspiration for the movie Tremors. I get it. That was the star of the show. Was the worms? I get it. Everybody agreed they got the worms right. They didn't get they the did. worms right. Yes, you want to see a movie fo- featured about them? I was like, absolutely. I get it now. They're right off the book cover, aren't they, Ken? Literally. Yes. They did an well, outstanding job with that. I'm point about this that hit me about halfway through. This is a Dino De Laurentiis movie. Yes. Dino De Laurentiis had his own crew, his own staff, his own background people to do the work. What this you got you don't compare this movie to Star Wars or Alien. You compare it to another De Laurentiis movie of the same period. Orca. Flash. Uh-huh. Oh, did he do Flash Gordon? I, I guess I forgot that. Yeah, you, know, you know what I thought? When you think of the Emperor's Court, and then I, you compare it to that of being the Merciless. The camera can, work, the yes. special effects. It's Flash Gordon's special effects. Oh, my God, Ken. I, I sat there and I thought, you know what? Uh, if you're going to sit down and have a movie marathon, you're going to start off with like a Roger Corman movie. And then go into Flash Gordon, and then you're going to go into this. You are exactly right. Well, you know, he wasn't headquartered out of Halton, uh, uh, L.A. De Laurentiis operations were based in North Carolina, which I, I just think is kind of bizarre. If you're, you're going to have access to all the movie stuff, North Carolina probably not where you're going to run your operation out of. But Well, that's but, the uh, thing. I mean, Dino De Laurentiis back in the 80s was cranking out about four movies a year. And he did. He, I mean, he did all kinds. He had some really good ones and not so good ones. Uh, obviously, 
he thought this was going to be a big hit. It wasn't. Uh, there are scenes in this that are gorgeously shot, in my opinion. But then there's a whole lot that isn't. Uh, and it does, like I said, it's Flash Gordon-esque when you're dealing with a lot of it. But it does move too fast. They're, they, they don't have the time. They just have stuff happen. You know, it's necessary for certain people to do certain things, so they do, and it well, moves along. I'm going to ask you guys this. The way that the Emperor's Court looked, shouldn't Londo Malari just have come walking out from behind there? Because <laughs> <laughs> wasn't it absolutely like a Centauri Imperial Court? Or, mean, or, did this, and- or did this movie inspire Straczynski to, to, to make Londo look like that? You, you might be right, because really, Londo basically ripped off Emperor Shaddam's wardrobe department. Oh, yeah. She might yeah. might have been the same hand-me-down. Nothing goes away in Hollywood. No. As you might recall, in Starship Troopers, uh, the and the later on in Firefly, those same uniforms showed up in Firefly on the on the prison train there on the train <laughs> episode. Right. That was the same outfits. Yep. That that was You're- the same. Yeah. Well, something. Something that uh, my research indicated is when Joe Dorowski was trying to do his version of Dune, one of the people he called in to help with the sets and the background was H.R. Geiger. Oh, yeah. Who invented, I mean, the whole look of Alien. And Geiger, you know, did a lot of work on what the sets and all should look like. And from what I understand, uh, Dino De Laurentiis borrowed that and used a bunch of that look uh, that but Geiger had devolved, uh, developed for the sets here. Uh, uh, I mean, what did you think of the scene where they're sitting around playing a rotating video game and shooting the lasers, you know, including the Emperor at the end? I'm like, oh my God, this is terrible. Remember that? It's like they're on a carousel and they're, it looks like they look like a bunch of old guys in a slot machine, what it really looks like. But, uh, <laughs> they're, they're they're looking at this thing and they're shooting the lasers at the worms, but the thing they're writing is going in a circle. And I'm thinking, like, so the generals and the emperor are running the okay. Well, yeah. like, like I said, that that was if they had that in Flash Gordon, you wouldn't have thought different because they did have that sort of stuff in Flash Gordon. Mm-hmm. Well, but no, they, it, when they did Flash Gordon, there's a lot they of cringeworthy in- stuff in this movie. Well, when they did Flash Gordon, they intended for it to be, I think, kind of cheesy, I think. Um, but with oh, yeah. this, there was no intention of that, yet it turned out to be kind of kind of cheesy. First of all, this this doesn't hold up <laughs> at, at all. If there's a movie that we've done that doesn't hold up to the test of time, to me, this is this is absolutely the the number one movie that does it. It just doesn't hold up, and it, it's the thing is. For 1984, they they're they're they they should have had the means with which to to make this movie with with some style to it, and and they didn't. And I think that I mean this was not a cheap movie by 1984 standards at all. I, I want to say it was like 30 million dollars. Mm-hmm. Right. No, it, it's it wasn't like it was cheaply done. It's just they gave Lynch had a job. Sorry, 40 million dollars in 1984 dollars. That's an ample budget, but he he was given a job to take you know five or six hours of story and cram it into a two and a half hour movie, and he failed. But hey, what what would you expect? I mean, 
there was actually there's some stories that just can't be done as one movie and this this was one of them i mean the dune book was very intricate and interwoven and everything and again to throw it into you know a more modern version it would be like saying well you know that game of thrones thing yet yeah, may have taken eight seasons to get to the end i mean we'll argue about whether they ended it right or whatever but what if they would have said we'll just do that in five seasons we'll just accelerate it i mean it would not have been the hit series that it was because you're mm-hmm. trying to cram too much you're chopping out too much a lot of the interaction the people that that the true fans because when people when this came out in 84 you had 20 years worth of fandom built up around dune it was a real it was its own unique branch of sci-fi fandom. They were excited to go see this. I was there on opening weekend with Sheila, and, and it wasn't the most crowded. It wasn't the most crowded cinema, but I was there at the Eastwood. Oh yeah, we might have been in the same room. But Ken, don't you? I was there right about the same time. Don't you think that you you have to have you have to have this really planned out and well done to if you have that kind of source material and that kind of fandom behind it you you have to approach this movie differently than if it was let's just say something that was made made up it, it was sort of i dare i say dare i say george lucas's um <clears throat> made up imaginary world of star wars where where you don't have necessarily the source material to compare it to and therefore if you are going to use it and it's going to be a a classic book that you're going to use as source material. I mean, you really, you can't shortcut it. Would you agree or disagree? Yeah, I will agree. And I, I do want to point out something that, uh, you know, not to keep jabbering on about Jodorowsky's Dune, but when Jodorowsky was putting together his vision on how to do Dune, he spent a lot of effort putting together this massive binder. There was about like two or three inches thick of visuals and artist conception of you know the uh, props and the, the sets and the the attire and you know storyboarded the whole thing out and then he distributed that amongst a bunch of the studios in Hollywood trying to get interest and funding and then his project collapsed but that that uh that documentary points out that those books got shared around Hollywood all over the place back in the early 70s. One of the people who almost certainly poured over Jodorowsky's notes on how to make Dune was George Lucas, who then took a because there's a lot of scenes in Star Wars that are right out of Jodorowsky's vision for Dune. What? Go watch Jodorowsky's Dune. Is <laughs> that on Netflix? on netflix i've 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 read about it and i've read a lot of references to it but no it's basically all of 70s and 80s sci-fi that came after this it was done they're being done by people that studied what jodorowsky had done trying to make dune and failing yeah dune should have been a massive hit but i think that uh, basically, the Ridley Scott idea. Ridley Scott was onto a better idea. His idea of just saying like, "You can't do this in one movie. It's got to be two. Uh, that could have worked, but well, again, that you know, fell through. If they had the clairvoyance in 1984 that they do now, at least as far as the studios go, to understand 
that the way that you make money is you stretch a movie instead of one setting you stretch it over three movies or two or whatever you know you saw his name that did the uh, Lord of the Rings series and the Hobbit yeah. Peter, yeah. Jackson Peter Jackson took a who took a book the Hobbit and ended up turning into you know three movies arguably you know they could have done away with the third movie or cut it down at least but when i think of dune another movie that pops into my mind and it has the same issues um as dune does another great sci-fi source piece that was bastardized to the point of you know you know cringe when you say starship troopers the movie because yeah they didn't learn from the dune debacle and they took Robert Heinlein's great novel. I, I don't know. I don't want to say Disney-fied it, but, I mean, just made it a, almost a made-for-TV movie in a sense, minus the nudity. Yeah. You know, the, the irony about Dune to me is, or not Dune, excuse me, about Starship Troopers is that if you really read Starship Troopers, there's very little action in that book. Right. It's really a, it's really a political book mm-hmm. on, on, on Heinlein's view of what citizenship should be and responsibilities that go with it um now again it happens to have some cool things in it but i bet you if you i bet less than 10 percent that book is any kind of action at all now you you know what it doesn't mean you can't make a movie out of it but you know well this goes back to our last episode we were talking about um where we were talking about uh sicario or the um not not our last movie a couple podcasts ago where we're talking about sicario where you know 10% 10% of that movie is action, but the rest is the intrigue and the uh, mm-hmm. the story behind what's going on. Same thing in Highland's book. You know, you could still make a good movie and talk yeah, about I think so. all of that uh, and, and and still, you know, have a, something very true to it. Same thing here. And, I, and I'm glad that the Sci-Fi Channel went and redid did their take on it. Um, and, and spent the time that they needed to because there are some things, you know, we've, we've talked about them before. There's some movies that, you know, that are based on some source material that, that need to be explored because you, you for the for people to get into the movie and understand the characters and relate to things and get behind the story, it, it needs to it needs to be drawn out. But when, it comes, when it's all said and done, you know, everybody looks at the bottom line and says, okay, well, what can we make off this movie? And that's where we're going to cut it off. And I get it. I do get that to a point from a business standpoint. But you know, if you're talking about the longevity of, you know, you know, rentals and things like that, you would think that, you know, people would want to take a little more time to invest in it. Yeah, well, I will say this for Lynch, and that is he stayed true to the book. I mean, you guys are talking about Starship Troopers, and I think one of our beefs about Starship Troopers is, you know, uh, Verhoeven, when he was making Starship Troopers, basically bought the rights of the book and then said, I can do this better. Yeah. Or yeah. Peter Jackson buying the rights of The Hobbit and going like, I can improve on this story. Lynch, he tell me, like it or not, he sticks to the book, the story of the book. He moves along at breakneck speed, but he does get it done. Now you know something coming up. Uh, you probably probably discovered this, but you do know there's two Dune movies coming out. Dune is being turned into two movies. It's going to start coming out next year. No, mm-hmm. I did not know that actually. Maybe even maybe even this year. Yeah, the first one. Um, yeah. Uh, just to give you an idea, who's in it? Uh, 
Josh Brolin, Stellan Skarsgård, Charlotte Rampling. Josh Brolin uh, is Gurney Javier Bardem, Jason Momoa, and a raft of other people. Big budget coming out again. So we'll see if they can, If maybe if they break it into two, it'll be good. But we will see. I thought the sci-fi uh, miniseries they did was not bad at all. Frankly. See, I've never seen it. I've got it on my Netflix list, but. I actually own the DVDs. Uh, Slover turned me on to it, and I watched it when it was actually on the Sci-Fi Channel. But then I, I followed up the DVDs, and they, they actually, I think, did a second miniseries that I own the DVDs of but have never watched. So they didn't just do Dune. They did uh, the second Dune book, which I'm not sure if it's Children of Dune or God Emperor of Dune. I've read most of them, uh, but it's been years and years since I've read them. But I have oh. not seen the second Sci-fi well, I'll say it right series. now. If you could loan me that uh, sci-fi miniseries, I'd love to watch it. Okay. But you just can't get it anymore. It's not real. I mean, it's it's a you know it's on hold for Netflix. It's not really out there. You can order it, but it's not. Mm-hmm. They don't have it in stock. So yeah, I, I, it's just not there. But it, it had a good reputation in its day. Yeah, it wasn't bad. William Hurt uh, it was the main name you'd recognize, but there's some other names in it as well. That's what I understand. But no, I think that this this movie, at its core, I mean, I I, I was raised in a more genteel environment. Uh, my grandmother would have said this movie was trying to pour a gallon into a quart pitcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same theory. You're going to have a mess no matter what, because you just don't have enough space and time for what you're trying to do. But you know, you can't. You got to give them credit for trying. I yep. mean, I will give credit for trying because in 1984, uh, as much as you want to dog the special effects and things like that, they did get the worms right, which everybody, this may not be a big thing, but I can still remember in the early, late 70s, early 80s, talking to friends of mine back then that were big sci-fi fans going like, well, they'll never be able to make a Dune movie because they'll never be able to get the worms right. At this yeah. movie, they at least got the worms right. Those big they got sand that right. worms, they got them. Well, Ken, actually, just some of the obscura uh, in the movie, you know, Alia, you know, the, the sister, right? You know, at the end of the movie, she's sitting there in a kind of weird scene where she's holding this knife up, doing like a dance. I mean, in the book, she became known as Alia of the Knife. There's that, you know, kind of reference to her. And by the way, Jeff, uh, you remember I'm talking about the, his sister, the, the young, like the baby? Uh, yeah. You know that you have seen her in something, haven't you? Justified. That's right. I loved her, her. I loved her character in Justified. Who was she? She's a uh, oh shit, crow. Crows. Oh, crow. crows. Yeah. Yeah. The Bennets are road scholars compared to the crows. What are you talking about? Oh man, she's a crow. She fell far from being out there. She, she was a crow who was a uh, a a. Not a legal assistant. What would she be? A, she was a paralegal, oh, so yeah. she was doing all their legal work for them. <laughs> so yeah, oh, she wow. yeah she um, I I I loved her role and um, she's good. She was good. She was good. Yeah, and, and I she saw was attractive. That. Uh, very very attractive. I mean, there there was some very talented and attractive women in this movie. Uh, I, I have always had a thing for Virginia Madsen. Um, Me too. Who who looked? I mean, and, and who looked? Who did not look like she typically does? Um, they made her unsexy. I thought in this for whatever reason. To very me. regal in a sense. 
Yeah. Um, and not like she normally does. She is a very attractive woman, um, but uh, and very talented. I've always enjoyed everything that she's done. Um, loved her in Sideways. I love that movie. All the actor actresses in here. See, I, I thought did a pretty a pretty good job with what they had. Um, Sean Young. I I I I just I wasn't sure. I I got her confused with. <laughs> I saw crazy Sean Young. Crazy Sean Young. I don't know if this is pre or post crazy, but I got for the the longest time there. I thought she was actually playing Lady Jessica. And because there was some similarities to uh, Francesca uh, Anise um, and Sean Young, and then you know Sean Young comes in later in the movie, uh, but uh, I thought it was I th- I thought they did fine with what they had, but I just I mean Sean Young looks very young in this movie, uh, but Alicia well, Witt, she'd, al- uh, she'd already done Blade Runner by this time, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Blade Runner was like. 81 yeah. or 80, I think she no, looked, done that. Sean she, Young was like 25 when she did this movie. She looked very young. I mean, like she looked like younger a than a Blade Runner. She did. She truly did. Um, well, Blade Runner, she was all made up to look like you know, correct that 40s yeah. film noir look, which yeah. yep. makes you look older. It does. Yeah, she uh, done Blade Runner two years before. Okay. What did you? I, I didn't mean, realize she was on Wall Street. Jesus. Huh. Well, I didn't know Sean she, Young. Was. I forgot she was. About, I forgot she was in that movie. I didn't even know. John Young was very prolific back in the eighties. She was, she was, and then crazy will get you limited job offers. Um, all right. Well, what'd you guys think about music soundtrack? Appropriate, noticeable. Well, it's Brian Eno and Toto were the uh-huh. primary. I think Eno did the theme, but I I couldn't figure out what quite what Toto did, and because Toto is not exactly a group you think of. I, I keep thinking like Rosanna, Rosanna, you know that. You know, that song they did. Rosanna, Rosanna. Or, and out, out of Africa. I guess the rain's down in Africa. But I I can't figure out what they did in the movie unless they were behind everything. But Eno was a very experimental artist back at that point. I could see him doing something. And it makes sense that Lynch would pick him because Lynch is kind of one of those kind of guys. But, but, uh, you know the epic the, the the main soundtrack is something you remember i don't remember a lot of it outside of that i don't know ken well, jeff well they did some of the music was deliberately sort of bizarre trying to set up an otherworldly feel it's i'm gonna say i mean i'm not gonna sit there and say the music was bad it just it wasn't great and it was it was deliberately set up to have different musical feels for different scenes, different places, different groups of people, you know, setting a theme. And I and I appreciate that. I appreciate you know setting the tone via music for certain scenes or, um, in this case, factions, um, locations, or whatever. Um, <laughs> but what did you guys? What did you guys think? <laughs> About the floating man. Uh, oh, Harkonnen? Yes. The Harkonnens he, are such good villains. And he, they he floats in the book, yeah. up I the understand series. that. And I wish I had one of those flying suits, damn it. I, I gotta say, I thought that was probably... The flying suit was, to me, the best part. Was some of the best... Of the special effects CGI in the movie, 
I, I, there were times I kept looking. I'm like, I, I want, I want to find out, you know, the the special force that's holding. Him. But I actually thought he was probably very well done as far as his, his movements in and out of scenes. Well, in the books, Baron Arconid was was morbidly, morbidly, morbidly obese, and he needed a, a, something like that to move around. Mm-hmm. Now, he didn't have all the boils. I mean, again, let's time just goes over the top, like all the boil stuff where they're treating the boils on his face. I'm like, and I could have really done without that. Uh, but Lynch just seems to love that kind of stuff because you know he could be re- he could be repulsive without being that repulsive. Uh, but uh, but no, it, it's it was not an accurate sense of that's what the dude was about. He was that kind of guy in the books. He was a little more subtle, I think, in the books. He yeah, was, he was. He they, was way over Lynch the top. Portrayed him as sort of a comical, over the top mm-hmm. super villain. Yeah. In the book, he was okay. He was kind of heavy and needed a little technical assistance moving around. But he and his crew were all devious and capable in their own way. Sting, Sting made. I was. I was impressed with Sting's behavior in this movie. Again, they didn't have him enough, but he he certainly did come off as malevolent and an evil henchman sort of character. Yeah, and Raban, actually, I didn't realize this. The guy played Raban, he was like 50-something years old when he did that. I thought he was more like Sting's age, but, you know, he was not a young man when he played that role. The Harkonnens were, uh, I think, they could have done... A lot less. It would have been easy not to develop the pool of Harkonnen evildoers, each with their own little quirks and everything else. I think you got the, you know, the Mentats running around doing their Mentat thing, you know, the human computers. Uh, they, they do. I mean, that's a different world. I mean, it is. A, you know, they. It's that's a problem in this. Is I'll, I'll just say. Uh, I'm going to say the first half of this movie, where it, it's building up to you know the downfall of the Atreides, the, basically the first half is. I liked it. I thought it was well done, and the pace was good. And then it's like they got to that point and realized, oh, we got we you know we took a half you know it took a half hour or 45 minutes getting to this point. We got like another 45 minutes, and then we got to be done. And so. Would well, you agree it, with me that the beginning is pacing and setting the scenes and introducing characters and giving people something to talk about was a little better than it was at the end? Yes. And, Ken, have you ever seen – Jeff, there's an extended version of this movie that was done. Uh, it's probably three hours long. And it's been on TV a fair number of times. And there's like a uh, – it's not an animated, but it's a, it's a beginning that explains some of the history. It explains why there are mentats. Because what happened was robots basically enslaved men at one point. They became, you know, men became slaves of their robots. And so it talks about that history and kind of lays, you know, here's why there are mentats. Here's why there are different things in the houses and so forth. Um, and it lays that out. Uh, and again, it's, it's, a, it's probably another 40 minutes longer, be my guess, or at least 30. But And it's often been shown. I've seen it. But obviously, there's a lot of background you're missing. But I did, you know, the pacing at the beginning is good. But the problem is the pacing at the beginning is too deliberate, and then you got to push it all together at the end. Well, know? do you feel that that extra 40 minutes brings more to the movie? You know, I don't hate it as much as everybody would think I hate it. I actually, again, I watched this movie, and I do think it does bring something to the movie. It certainly makes it more understandable. Like, 
why the hell are these Mentats? You know, what what's the sense of these guys? Why don't they just have computers? Uh, you know, and it kind of lays out some of the background. Here's why they are they are the way they are. You know, uh, it doesn't fully explain it, but the movie's just longer. It's just a longer movie. There's scenes that are cut that are in in the extended version. Now, that said, you know, Lynch totally washed his hands of this movie, and if you watch it most of the time on TV, it has what's it what's the name they attribute to movies? It's just a generic director's name. Uh, Alan see it on, Smithy. Yeah, this is an Alan Smithy directed movie. You were watching <laughs> on TV, Jeff. <laughs> Lynch's name is not there. <laughs> really? Oh my yeah. God! I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. <laughs> so there was some disagreement. Uh, obviously, I'm not sure. Right? I've not bothered to explore just what the levels of it were. But uh, he he is. This is not a movie that he takes great pride in, or that I, I think it's a movie he would say that you know they did shit in this movie that I didn't want to have them done, and they've ruined it. <laughs> Yeah, again, seeing what you see, you're like, oh, I'm not sure they ruined it. <laughs> right. I'd like to just ask one question in terms of visuals and cinematography and all. This should rank up there with the other great wandering in the desert movie, Lawrence of Arabia. But what are your thoughts on the should. cinematography? Not the sets, not the set scenes, but the cinematography, the exterior shots and all. Just workable, would you say? I, I liked them. The movie's dark. I, the movie is I dark, mean, the, and, the, and the, that, the, the lighting is almost too dark. That's uh, the problem, it, Brian. It's, yep, it's too dark. It, I yeah, wish I was, there was. I was watching it in a lit office today, and I'm like, damn, I can't see what's going on. You know? <laughs> I feel they they're they're if they had improved the lighting on this, but I mean, that said, if I when I think back to the movie, I mean. A lot of it's outside. I mean, I, you know, I mean, it's done in the cover of darkness. I mean, you know, you're not going to have artificial lights, which, in a sense, you know, I remember, I remember the uh, guys coming across, you know, coming out, you know, coming out of the, the sand dunes and walking across the sand, and I mean, it, it looked like what you would see, I think, under star or moonlight, and you would just see rows upon rows of guys marching and and in order and traveling in different directions and I mean you could see because there there was contrast there with the with the very light sand. You know, I, I don't I don't know how much of that CGI was done at the end when you have that temple and you've got all those people outside trying to get in. Mm-hmm. I, re- I remember that scene and that looked pretty good. I I I mean cause, and they they had a couple of shots where they kind of, you know, came back outside, went back in, did their stuff, came back out. And I thought that was I thought that was pretty well done, but I still think I, I do think Ken the, the the sets are done really well. I mean that's the, there there is some appeal to at least what they did to set up the scenes to create the environment with which the scenes are taking place. The look of them, um, I did have an issue when they <laughs> they had the probe come down from the ceiling at the beginning of the movie. Um, yeah, you know, it 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 seemed like you could see somebody, you know, just almost like hand cranking that thing down and lowering <laughs> it. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, you know, at the end, and <laughs> I, I, I just began to chuckle at the end when they're when they're when they're on the worms and they're 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 in battle, and they're they're <laughs> they're they're shooting. And every time they would take a shot, they would have some sort of like audible sound that they would 
that they would grunt or expel as they were making the shot. Did, well, you, did you guys notice that? Well, the weapons were powered by their their voices. Sound was what... The, the, the weapons were essentially triggered by... They were sonic weapons. So the ammo was their voice, believe it or not. It, did I miss that in the movie? Did they explain well, no, because that? because it was done. It was done very shittily. They I mean, taught. They they mentioned it, but you really correct. had to, it was just quickly passed. Yeah. <laughs> well, in fact, you know that they had they, they had developed these weapons that that work by sound. Okay, so the Harkonnens take their base, and it's Paul and his mom out in the middle of the desert. Well, then Paul must be a freaking genius because he built those weapons apparently because. The Fremen didn't have those weapons. Those weapons were back, you know, in the old Atreides base, which is now run by the Harkonnens. So Paul and his mom had to build those weapons, apparently. And they didn't explain that at all. But no, and Jeff, just for the fact you're confused, says a lot. But no, the the weapons, they call them the weirding modules, which I'm not sure, that's even confusing, because the whole weirding thing is just the power that Ben A. Jezzerin has to convince people to do stuff. The weapons weren't weirding modules. They were just powered, they were sonic weapons basically triggered by your voice and then they even said certain sounds do certain things and remember when they said Maudib and it blew up the part of that ceiling and he goes Maudib is a killing word what's a killing word with that weapon there you go well okay yeah. if you would have played hours and hours of game time on the old Avalon Hill Dune board game which was an awesome board game for a sci-fi board game back in the 80s you would know these things. Well, uh, I was a wee lad back then. Um, <laughs> Ken still owns that game, Jeff, just so that you know. Well, well, if you get six people together, it's one of the best six-player games we, out there. Why, why aren't we breaking that out next time? There's not, well, nothing, so, so. Like, nothing like uh, taking on the uh, Ben Jesuit and, and, and getting the other players to win the game for you. You can do that in the game. It's quite fun. Nonetheless, let's move on. <laughs> there was a part of me that watched this one time the other night for the first time ever. And there was a part of me that said, I feel like this is one of those movies I have to watch. Granted, with some level of alcohol on me, you know, like three or four times to, to really be able to process everything. Because it is a super fast paced movie. And they are moving through so much so fast. And as Brian and, and Ken have both said, you know, basically 10 pounds of shit in a five-pound bag. There's just that's so... That's not what I said. That's not what you said. You, was, yours no. was a gallon into a quart. It's the same damn thing. Everybody stay calm. What's the Everybody procedure, everyone? Calm. What's the procedure? Stay calm! Wait, 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 wait. Everybody calm down! I feel like you, you've got... You, you, really, you really have to watch this a few times to, to, to grasp... <laughs> Dare I say the all the, the new, full potential, the full potential, or the nuances of this movie? Which that I will say, I was quite pained that I was going to possibly have to watch this again, and I didn't. I was just there was just no way I was going to watch this thing again. Um, I I'm I'm glad I watched it one time to to get a sense for how the what this movie was and all the things I'd heard over the years, but. 
I, I just don't think I need to go back and ever watch this thing again. Now there's there are other I mean I there are other Dune projects that I I think I will watch, but I just don't think this is one of them again. Understand? Well, this is all you had for decades. Well, yeah, I get that, right? Um, all right, gentlemen, it is now time for brother. What you drinking? What you drinking? Oh, what you drinking? Ken, are you uh? imbibing on anything tonight well, i'm done now but you know I, I gave it away earlier i'm drinking i, I was drinking spice rum and i deliberately chose a particular brand which i thought was semi-evocative of this movie in this movie you know paul atreides and a fremen when they really wanted to open up a can of whoop ass what did they summon a worm. <laughs> the kraken the great worm <laughs> the sandworm the giant sandworm a massive destructive force, one that you know mere humans couldn't uh, control, one that would overcome everything before them. And so, I went for something similar: the Kraken. <laughs> <laughs> Called it. <laughs> so the Kraken may not be a sandworm, but I mean, when you release the Kraken, when you unleash the sandworm, you're going the same place. Those worms were 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 very well done. One of the best parts of the movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe the best part of the movie. Uh, m- maybe. All right. Well, good. Yes, thank you, Ken. I, and very apropos. Uh, that's, I, I, I like it. Well done. All right. All right. Brian, what uh, what say you? Well, I'm drinking the water of life tonight. Oh, the water uh, of life. Water? Water of life. Yeah, Diet Pepsi. So... I have forsworn my evil ways, including tobacco chewing and alcohol, for now three weeks. Oh, congratulations. Wow. Giving up to chew is the tough part. Yeah, it was a certain pledge I made on the way to a hospital three weeks ago to my wife. So, so, yeah. Not me on the way to the hospital for me, but for somebody else. Okay. So I'm going to be boring as shit when it comes to this stuff, if if all goes to plan. You, You... I think you're doing a great job here. Your sound quality is good, and there's no more spitting in the can sound. So, well, I'm 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 chewing herbal uh, snuff, Smoky Mountain herbal. There you go, snuff. There you can see it right there on the screen. But it's not tobacco; it has no nicotine. It's just like chewing dried grass. I think you need to like just put a pinch of kale in your between your lip and gum. I'm all about health, as you know. Or coca leaves. I hear coca leaves. Are oh, good. there we go. I could try something different. Yeah, <laughs> let's do that. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, that's it for me, Mr. Muncie. All right. What are you drinking, Jeff? Well, thanks for asking, Ken. Um, tonight, um, I am drinking. Uh, Sarah had gone to... Um, Holland, Michigan for the Tulip Festival a few weeks ago, and she sent me a picture. She said, hey, do you want either of these two beers from New Holland? And I said, well, yes. As in both of them. Yes, bring both of them home. So she had brought she brought home some of their uh, uh, Dragon's Milk, which is uh, their uh, bourbon barrel age milk stout, and uh I think most our listeners probably know milk stout is kind of a sweeter stout. Uh, outstanding, just an outstanding. The last several that I've showcased have been the of the bourbon barrel 
aged beers and and this is this is a, a, a kind of a modern classic it's really good um like it a lot um on my second one of course they sell them in four packs because they're ridiculously expensive and that's because gentlemen brace yourselves uh-oh uh-oh comes in at 11 percent abv it's it it is it is it is really 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 well done um the other night i drank it on a light stomach and uh let me tell you I was a happy person after one beer. I was like, okay, I, I cannot drink any more than one more. Or so how, one many, how many have you had tonight? I've only had one. It gets <laughs> moderately light stomach, and it's uh, it's still kicking me. So um, I'm, a light, I'm a lightweight these days. Um, great beer, great beer. All right, well, gentlemen, thank you very much for sharing, well, your, your water and your cracking with me. Well, gentlemen, let's go on. Let's do a, a a mini a mini checklist here. Was there a Wilhelm scream in this movie? I would say that David Lynch is too pretentious and avant-garde to use something as blasé as the Wilhelm scream. Well, you may be right, but I'll tell you what, if there was a movie that was right for the Wilhelm scream, at one point I thought we were going to get it in that final climactic battle. There was a guy that yelled and it was it was Two tones lighter for than a uh, than a Wilhelm scream, but man, I thought we were going to have one before that battle was over. Would you call it Wilhelmish? It was Wilhelmish. That sure as hell Wilhelmish, but um, but not not the official Wilhelm scream. All right. As the humans say, up yours, die. Was there a B five reference in this show? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and you know what it was. It was almost blinding, wasn't it? Yeah. You can't miss that guy. He's Mr. Weird. Yeah. Brian laid on us. Who was it? Brad Dorif. Yep. And there was almost another B5 reference if Everett McGill had, if his if his agent had <laughs> had made the connection to Straczynski instead of Bruce McGill. So there would have been two. But there was only one. Now, Jeff, you would have seen him as the lovable character of the captain in Heartbreak Ridge. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, I I do remember that. (laughs) Well, yeah. Yeah, anyway, yeah. He's had a lot of roles. He, yes, he has. And and he's kind of a a stoic type of guy. Um, Very. Yeah, you know, I I mean, he has has an interesting presence on the screen. I, I do like him. Actually, Ken, I will say this. He he kind of filled my vision of Stilgar in the movie. I, I thought I could see Stilgar. I envisioned Stilgar as looking like him. Then yeah, I, yeah. I did, just like I did Paul. I mean, Stilgar just needs to be a big, impressive-looking, bearded dude. And yeah. that's what he is. That, yeah. he, he was. He was. He did well. All right. All right, gentlemen. Well, let's move on here to uh, Ken. Do you have the uh, top ten for 1984 handy by chance? I've had it sitting here for quite a while, so here goes. Uh, of course, there's many movies back in 84. I saw lots of movies in 84. Went to the movie a lot in 84. So let me start start at ten. Uh, a movie I didn't see at the theater. <clears throat> Obviously, it did well, though. I know it would be Splash. Saw it. Uh, Tom Hanks, Daryl Hannah, and John, John Candy. Candy. Yes, where 
Daryl Hannah's a mermaid who comes to find love. That was, I believe, Ken, the first Disney Touchstone movie, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it'd be about if it wasn't. It's right about the first time they did. Yeah, yeah, that was and a that's big deal. Right when Tom Hanks was just starting out. Yeah. At number nine, you had Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Obviously, it comes right after the Wrath of Khan. Yeah, that one wasn't as good, but four was fun. It was where they had the whales, if I'm not mistaken. I like the whales yeah. movie. Steve doesn't, but I do. <laughs> well, Star Trek, the Star Trek movies do follow the rule of even numbers good, odd mm-hmm. numbers bad. Yes. And number eight a movie which I can remember seeing at the theater and I was highly entertained by it. I may not have been the prime demographic, but it's a Robert Zemeckis film uh, and it stars Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner and Danny DeVito and that would be Romancing the Stone. Loved it! Good movie. What scares the crap out of me, Ken, is I cannot believe those movies are that freaking old. I know, I know. We're, we're so damn old. No kidding. Half a lifetime ago for me. Yeah. And number, well, just a few years back for Jeff. He's, he's it, well, yeah, I was, I was a, my, my dad took my sister and I to see those movies. I remember being a wee lad going to the movies to see Romancing the Stone. It's a fun movie. It's a good it movie. Is. It is. The question and is, it's is it a man it cave movie? Unique. It is. It is pretty unique. Is it a man cave movie? Close. I'd say I'd say no, but it's as close as you can get without being there. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I've never been a big Kathleen Turner person, but I liked her in that movie. Right. Yes. Well, she had she had just come off a of body heat with William Hurt. With William Hurt, which is one of the sweatiest movies ever made. <laughs> Time has not been kind to her. Well, hasn't been kind to any of us. Well, that oh, contraire, mon frere. I mean, I'm. Never mind. I guess you're right. Never mind. Go on. Be truthful. At number seven. <laughs> I'm into my prime. Uh, you are just six degrees away from the star of this movie. That would be Footloose uh, with uh, Kevin Bacon. I, John Lithgow, right? Yes. John Lithgow's I, in I've it. I've never it, seen it, this I movie. Did, I didn't like it, but it, I'm not the target for that movie. Kenny Loggins' song, right? Yeah. Boy, Loggins was on fire back in those days. Oh, he, oh my gosh, yes. He owned the 80s. Yeah. And he owned 80s movies. He was very film theater or film studio friendly. Well, Loggins and Messina were big in the 70s. Man, he dominated movies by himself in the 80s, you're right. Yes, he did. And he did the one shining moment uh, thing for the NCAA basketball tournament. Oh, I would add. Well, at number six, a movie which kicked off a whole franchise. They kept making these and making these and making these. Uh, and it wasn't because of the Sterling cast. The cast was okay, but uh, they were just gross-out humor. And I, I think that would develop it. Uh, and that would be the Police Academy movies. Honest to God, I've never seen a single Police Academy movie. I ever. I don't think you're missing anything. i seen You're them. not... I saw them. I didn't think they're not good. They were just summertime, gross out teen 
comedy. That's it. I still can't. Was Steve Gutenberg in that? Yes. Steve Gutenberg, Kim Cattrall, and G.W. Bailey. Uh, G.W. Bailey's still doing... Well, maybe I've got it mixed up somewhere else, but anyway, forget it. Forget that. They had six films in that series, obviously. You may, we may be sitting there saying, like, oh, I just never see these movies. I am just so highbrow. Well, okay, maybe you didn't, but everybody else did. Yeah, I didn't see it. I didn't I see just... Police Academy. I mean, it was okay. At number five, a movie which was important enough, it, it was important in its day, and it's even back getting rave reviews to this day, and that would be The Karate Kid. <laughs> I, I, like the, I like the I like the Karate Kid. I like that. I'll tell you what's I'll, I'll tell you Cobra what's Kai. I'll tell you what's better than the Karate Kid is this new Cobra Kai series. It is hilarious. What is? It? I don't know what you're talking about. Oh my god. Um, uh, who is it? Is it YouTube? Yeah. YouTube TV has. Uh, oh my god, Brian, you are missing a modern classic in the making. Um, YouTube TV has um, basically uh, it's 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 where are the where are where are the, where is the Karate Kid now and Johnny the guy that he fought in the uh, in the first movie where are they now as in a sense of what has their life turned out to be and so as Johnny was, played a lot of Equalizer TV series if I'm not mistaken well he may have so. but he is uh, he so it basically. It picks back up in 2018. Where is Ralph Macchio's character, and where is where is Johnny? You know, how has their life turned out since that fateful day? Uh, at number four, another movie which spawned its own little franchise, and it's entertaining. I think you all watched it and enjoyed it. That would be Gremlins. I uh, I was with Procter and Gamble at that time. And P&G was a big sponsor of that show. And so I had a shit ton of Procter & Gamble promotional items for Gremlins. Now, the funny thing is, we were promoting the hell of that to little kids. And uh, you start watching that movie, that is not exactly a movie for your four-year-old to watch. The Gremlins are not cutesy little sweet things. They're bloodthirsty little SOBs. What movie uh, is this? Gremlins. That's what he said, wasn't it, Gremlins? Yeah. But again, P&G was promoting the hell. I mean, I had Crest Toothpaste promotions and all this stuff, and I put it all in the stores. And Again, I thought, oh, it's a kid's movie, and I went to see it. I thought, well, hell, I'll go see it. It's probably a kid's movie, and I'm watching the movie. I'm like, shit. I'm, I'm selling this thing to the kids. It's just like lighthearted kid's movie. And I'm thinking there's kids probably screaming <laughs> they're seeing this movie. It's, it's, it's not necessarily for kids. It's meant for teens, yeah, but not kids. I, I honestly, I didn't really care for it when I watched it. It had Hoyt Axton in it. And I think Hoyt Axton is kind of an interesting guy, but uh, but I I watched it and I'm like, eh, you know, it was okay. So, but uh, that was my take on it on Gremlins. Ready for Kid? number three? Yeah. All right. At number three is a movie which. I don't think, well, it's definitely a man cave movie, but I don't think we've ever reviewed it. Uh, big hit franchise movie, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, the second of the Indiana Jones movies. Is that the one where they're in India? Yes. What was the third one? Uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade with Sean Connery and 
Germany and the Middle East. Okay. And Venice. I mean, the, the second one had Kate Capshaw, who later married Steven Spielberg. In fact, that yes. been the last role she ever played. I didn't really care for that movie. It didn't no. strike. That had little, little. what's his name? Uh, the little guy. Uh, Short Round. Short Round. Which, by the way, that has stuck. If you've ever played a game or a role-playing game or anything, ever, there's always a short round. Oh, that, we'll give that the short round, you know. But, uh, yes, there's always a short round now. Well, a, a bit of trivia, which I, I've read several places, is, you know, Indiana Jones was a big success, and Steven Spielberg, everybody was saying, you got to make a sequel. But just as he was getting ready to start writing it up and everything, he went through a nasty divorce, and he just got in this really bad mood bad mood rather and so it's a it's a dark indiana jones movie again he somehow met kate capshaw while filming it and they got married maybe made him a happier guy after that but uh yeah it, it it's it's the weakest of the three indiana jones well the three original indiana jones movies it's got Who dan Aykroyd in it briefly right right at the beginning as i recall maybe ah uh, there's it? a there's an airplane that he's fleeing hong kong or something yeah. like that I think Aykroyd is like the travel agent or the guy who shepherds him onto the plane, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, my gosh. I've, I've watched it a dozen times, and I've totally missed that. I think that's the case. Okay. Uh, well, I, I don't distrust you on that. But I I thought Aykroyd was in there wearing a white suit, as I recall. I'm dumbfounded. I've got to go watch this movie again. I haven't seen it for years. Uh, but I, I have to say, I saw it. You know, when it first came out in the theater, I watched it, and I watched it on cable a number of times. Yep, backwards in it. Okay, good, good, good eye. A thing I will, I, I can remember back then making a comment that a thing about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom that wasn't there in the original Indiana Jones movie is it gives the British Army of the day its proper uh, place because. You know, in the end, when the bad guys are doing their thing, the British Army shows up with its, you know, I think they were Sikh rifles and just lay waste to the bad guys. Where, you know, I, it always bugged me in the original Indiana Jones uh, and the Temple of Doom, uh, or rather Indiana Jones movie, you know, the British Army was all over Egypt. You couldn't have the, you know, African Italian of Africa troops running around doing it. The British Army just would have showed up and shut them down. But... Having said that, the movie is fine. Moving on to number two. We have another movie, which is a Man Cave movie, because we have reviewed it. Uh, good cast, uh, good good music. And uh, you might wonder, like, you know, how, how do you find out about this movie? And all I can say is, who you got to call? Who uh. you going to call? <laughs> Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Oh, dear Lord, help us. Yep. Good, fun movie. Great, great movie. It is a really good movie. It is. Those and guys were at their peak then. That was it. This was Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, Bill Murray. It was, they were Rick at their Mar peak. Was, was Mar Moranis was in this one too. He was Rick in all Moranis of them. was in it. Sigourney Weaver was in it. I forget the name of the guy. Actually, a very prolific actor that played the EPA inspector that shut him down. Oh, yes. He played Jim in Centennial, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. yes. Uh, but anyways, no, Ghostbusters, well-written, fun. Obviously, it did number two at the box office. Uh, and it came in not that far behind number one. Number one at the box office. I think this is a... a actually, it spawned its own little mini-franchise. 
it's an to, in retrospect I see it as an okay movie, but it also featured somebody that was like just breaking through at their peak, and that would be Eddie Murphy as Axel Foley, the streetwise Detroit cop that goes to Beverly Hills becomes the Beverly Hills cop. That's before Judd Hirsch fell off the edge of the earth. That's when he was in everything, by the way. You meant Judge Reinhold. Judge Reinhold, excuse me. Yes. Judd Hirsch. Yeah, Judd Hirsch and somebody. Entirely yeah, Judge, Judge Reinhold did a lot of stuff. But no, Beverly's whole cop was good. Uh, wasn't as good as 48 Hours, which came a couple years after. But yeah. Good movie. I agree. But that's the top 10 movies of 1984. All right. Well, thank you, Ken. Well done. Very well done. I like Kate Capshaw. All right. Random comment there. All right. Well, thanks, Ken. Guys, letters from our listeners this week. Um, <laughs> tonight, uh, today, I you know, we've been so busy trying to figure out, you know, what's, you know, this last weekend, we were all, all sorts of, all over Indiana this last weekend. Um, so we could only, we had a tape on tuesday night which uh, we'll hopefully get this up by june 1st um god willing uh but uh put uh, just a little blurb out there on the uh, facebook post and several people chimed in um everybody was hoping it would be dune the miniseries because n- nobody wanted to hear about dune the movie <laughs> um <Aww. laughs> Uh, Darwin Allen says, uh, please let it be doing the miniseries. The 1984 movie with Kyle MacLachlan was a disaster, except for Patrick Stewart. Um, but Dean Isley, of course, is hoping it, he was hoping we would review it. <laughs> Cameron Freed said, are we talking about freaking Dune? This is my favorite book of all time. And man, that movie is just not great. That is <laughs> that is very, very true. <laughs> very true uh so uh so yeah so thanks guys for uh for sending those in oh my god last week <laughs> last last week i had I, since since taking over this podcast for steve who we sorely miss and god i wish he could have been here tonight um i i've, I've gotten a little uh, kind of at times a little overboard with the uh, creativity on the editing so last week or the last podcast when we were talking about american gangster we we, we had we had mentioned a lot of a lot of spoilers so i i got a, a little fun and creative on one of the spoiler segments where i i wanted to put a little a little warning to the listeners in and spoiler alert spoiler alert die die apparently my my warning um, had had a, had a sort of a, a visceral effect with one of our listeners. Rick Allen said, uh, "So there I was driving home from work yesterday and listening to the podcast. I had the volume up pretty loud because convertibles and road noise are awful for listening talk. I pull off my exit, check to make sure I was clear." Then out of nowhere, the loudest alarm alert klaxon is going off. I start freaking. Where the hell is this coming from? I turn the volume down and bam! Gone. Thanks to the nearly soiled pants, Jeff. Laugh out loud. Maybe tone down the spoiler alert just a tad. Also, I'm really digging some of the changes. Come at the very beginning. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, again, hey, I'm. 
I'm figuring this out. All right, give me give me some room here. I understand. Uh, <laughs> it's a lesson learned. I uh, yeah, I, I I caught some. Uh, I thought uh, Darwin had also. <laughs> Darwin, I thought Darwin had also left me uh, a message here from that podcast, and I'm having trouble finding it. But um, he he, um, he had alluded to basically the same thing. He was, I guess, he tries a forklift, and he said he was he was he was backing in, and all of a sudden, just uh, my uh, my spoiler alert notice exploded, and he <laughs> slammed that thing into park. It was looking all around trying to figure out what he had messed up on, and. <laughs> uh, realized realized it was it was just me so um well you know i'm glad uh <laughs> i'm glad i could keep never, it. it's that's not the first mistake you've made or no no it's far far for far from the last as he pointed out it was just the penny on the rail being the penny on the rail so all right well yeah those were um <laughs> those are great great comments by our listeners this week and i i appreciated every last one of them so that is going to bring us to the uh, conclusion of this uh, <clears throat> great and fantastic movie. Closing thoughts, guys. Ken, what do you say? I think we've I, I think we've given this movie a fair shake, put it in the context of its time, you know, the technologies, uh, where the people were at that time. It was a very ambitious project. Obviously, it had been tried several times before. It was seen as an important project something that needed to be done it was hoped to be a off for a uh, franchise in the end it still came down to they're trying too much there's too chopped up impossible from unless you'd read the books at all if you sat down to watch this you were just boggled you did like and not in a good way you couldn't people couldn't keep up with it they didn't know what was going on why this where'd they go what, what's important is over ambitious visually impressive in a lot of ways a good cast which is to a large degree kind of wasted or given short shrift obviously lots of people still think it's a story that needs to be told we're going to get a new version of it next year probably two movies there's a well from what i understand a good science fiction uh, network miniseries you know about two decades back and it's a compelling story the story is an interesting story you know the books and the story they're telling uh interesting interesting characters lots of interactions lots of intrigue having said that uh going back and re-watching this because i think i saw it once back then when it first came out i might have seen it on cable once or twice back in the day but i haven't seen it for a couple of decades and i can report it does not hold up it is not flash gordon equal but it's flash gordon and it are sort of side by side in a lot of ways Uh, in terms of the special effects the look so with that if I'm going to give it a numerical score, I'm going to give it a five. I'm debating. I'm going to give it a five. A six is I like. A four is I don't like it. A five is eh, it's got aspects that I kind of like, but overall, uh, no, it's it's. There's a lot of other things. If you like, if you're going to like. 
carve out a couple hours to watch this, or you're going to go, you know, watch, you know, go for a nice long walk. You might want to just go on a nice long walk. You'll get cardiac uh, or cardio benefits out of a nice walk. Well, so that's my impression. All right. <laughs> uh, thank you, Ken. Um, I, I, I must say, when you were, when you were agonizing agonizing over the f word i was four five which one is he gonna come up with um but okay all right so so you 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 left it at five huh okay all right five it could have been as a close call with four it was not going to be a six or a seven that's for sure okay it's a lot of potential this movie has tons of potential but the potential isn't realized. I, I, all right. All right. Brian, what say you? Well, unlike Ken, who hadn't seen it in 20 years, I've probably seen it 20 times since it's come out. Usually, like, after midnight on the BBC. They love to show this movie in the BBC, America. Don't ask me why. Uh, but and it's usually late. I mean, this movie, is, if it's shown, it's after midnight. It's got an incredible cast. Obviously, it's got some real problems. Real problems. I, honestly, when Ken said five, I was a little surprised because I thought when I was going to say five, you guys would say like, "What?" <laughs> I thought you were all going like three, two. So I was good. I was going to say a five. I'm actually surprised you did, Ken. But, but I, oh. I, I watch this movie. I mean, I, when it comes around, I watch it. I know it's not good. I know it's it's awful, but I will watch this movie if it's out there. I can't hate it because they tried. Now, they failed, but they tried. Now, if they hadn't tried, I'd hate it. Well, you know what they say about the quiz that's head erect. You tried. You tried and died, right? That's quite out of the movie. <laughs> stick this hand up your gum jabber. <laughs> I know what Yoda gum said jabbar. about trying. It's the, it's the gum jabbar. Get, your, get, your, get it straight here, Ken. You know. yeah. All right, Jeff. Four. Unleash the crack. That's it. Four. Four sandworm. I'm done. Four. That's it. That's all I can give this movie. And with that, that's it. We're done. I just can't. I, I don't. I will never watch this movie again. I will not watch this version of the movie. I look forward to anything else, including the sci-fi version. But that's that's for another conversation. All right, gentlemen. Well, thank you very much for your um, your insights into this movie. Uh, many of which I uh, didn't pick up, nor could I understand or care to find out. So, listeners, I hope you, uh, you enjoyed this as much as um, as I think we enjoyed talking about it. Thank you for listening. As always, uh, check us out on uh, Facebook, iTunes. I don't do Twitter, so you probably will find a barren dune landscape there as far as interaction continue please with your interactions um you guys have uh, really stepped up your game here in the last few weeks on uh, responding to our facebook post and um, i appreciate all the personal stories i um, i don't think there'll be any sort of jarring um uh, klaxons or anything in this episode or podcast because i hope we spoiled the shit out of this movie so you have no reason to go and watch it if you haven't hopefully like i said i'll get this up soon uh, but thank you for listening. We appreciate it. Leave us uh, some five-star reviews on iTunes. And um, if you uh, if you also like the show, feel free to share it with your friends. And hopefully um, sometime soon we'll get our special red shirt 
um, Steve back on this podcast. We'll have to find something for him that he will will like. Uh, I may have to abduct him and bring him into my uh, my man cave here at home and you know throw a headset on him to get him into the podcast. But uh, hopefully he will return here soon, um, and uh, maybe he'll share his thoughts once we post this online. Um, signing off and saying good night is my good and dear friend Ken. What's in the box? Roni. Well, you know, I almost didn't make it tonight for this. I was, I was on my way home, and this beautiful dark-haired woman came out of the shadows and said, you know, Wad Ken, tell me of the waters of your home world. But, you know, I had to say, babe, I live in Indiana where it rains every other day for months. So if I start talking about water... I'll be here all night. I don't miss the podcast. So see you later. <laughs> and now I'm here. <laughs> well, I'm glad you have your priorities in the right spot. You need to show Steve how to do that. All right. Thank you. Also saying good night is my good and dear friend, Brian. This inner monologue has taken me totally out of this movie. Miller. Jeff, like the spice, I got to flow on out of here. <laughs> well, uh, Adios. I won't, I won't, I won't, uh, thank you. Thank you, Brian. I won't ask you what color the flow is. All right. Well, guys, I appreciate you being here. Thank you again for, uh, for, for being a part of this podcast. And uh, listeners, thank you very much for tuning back in. And stay tuned um, for our next, um, our, our next show, which will be hopefully – somewhat familiar yet maybe somewhat better um that's a little foreshadowing of what's coming in our next episode ken's already got that in the works so we will hopefully record that here in a couple of weeks but until then ciao i'll be back damn your eyes too late please go away let me sleep for the love of god someday this war's gonna end in case I don't see ya. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. There's the us and what we were. And what will be. And what will be. You know, the first time I saw uh, McGill in a movie was that um, that werewolf movie, Silver Bullet. Everett McGill? Everett McGill, yes. Did you ever okay. see that movie? It, it I don't was, think I saw it, but it was, he was obviously he was in Twin Peaks. I have not seen all of Twin Peaks. Sarah and I started watching it. Didn't get Didn't get very far. He came out of retirement to do the new one, even. Really? 
Yeah, actually, the first movie I saw him in was in college, and it was with Ray Don Chong. In uh, <laughs> he was in, uh, but she had a career, uh, and he was in something of fire. Uh, it was, West uh, for fire. West for fire. I uh, saw that with yeah. some free tickets from my history professor at Butler, and anything free at that point in my life, I was there. And uh, he was in Quest for Fire with Ray Don Chong. I think she was naked for a while in that movie. But she she was naked in the whole movie. That that, yeah. that movie was nothing more than an excuse to smear Ray Dong Chong with mud <laughs> and just have her run, run naked. So obviously the movie made it made uh, had an effect on you as well. <laughs> it was a stupid movie. <laughs> what are you talking about? I, my history professor gave me those tickets. It was a historically important film. Well, it was. I mean, the it was Discovery was of Fire. There's not that many, yeah, not that many movies about the discovery of fire in uh, Cro-Magnon times, but yeah, you're right. 